Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lifted up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. And if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the New Testament book of 1 John. The New Testament book of 1 John. If you're looking for it and you're not familiar with Scripture, you could find it starting in the back of the Bible. You have the book of Revelation. Turning the other direction, you hit Jude, 3 John, 2 John, 1 John. 1 John in chapter number 5. We're starting a brand new series this morning talking about the book of 1 John. And in order to do it properly, I'd like to introduce so more of an introductory message. And we're going to start at 1 John chapter number 5. The book of 1 John is written, of course, by the Apostle John, written about 90 A.D., it's one of the last letters that he wrote in his life, and he's writing it to a, to a church who is about two or three generations removed from Jesus Christ ascending up to heaven. And so after two or three generations, he wanted to give a testimony that these things that you heard about Jesus, that Jesus is God, robed in flesh, that these things are true. But not only historically that Jesus was lived, that he was walked upon this earth, that he died on the cruel cross, that he was buried in a borrowed tomb and rose again. Not only that, but that we, you and I, we as Christians can have a fellowship with Jesus Christ today where we're at. And so if you wouldn't mind, the subtitle of this message is 1 John walking with Jesus. That Jesus desires to have fellowship with us, has a desire to walk with us. And the whole book of 1 John will carry this idea of fellowship, that we can have fellowship with Christ. We can have a personal relationship with Christ. We can walk with Christ. We can have a personal talk with Him in ourselves. So if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the book of 1 John, take <laughs> and look with me on the book of 1 John and chapter number 5. And we're going to start off as an introduction. 1 John chapter 5. Notice with me, if you wouldn't mind, in verse number 11. 1 John chapter 5, verse 11. It says, And this is the record that God hath given unto us eternal life. And this life is in his Son. He that hath the Son hath life. And he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. These things have I written unto you that believe in the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that you have eternal life, and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. If you wouldn't mind, let's go to, <clears throat> I'd like to preach a message to you dealing with the birthmarks of the believers. Birthmarks of the believers. And if you wouldn't mind, let's take some time and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much, Lord, for you being a wonderful God. And as we come up to you this morning, I'm just asking that you would put your hand of favor and the hand of blessing upon our lives, our church. I'm asking that you'd put your hand of blessing upon this message. Lord, this is an important message as we open it up and see what the purpose of 1 John is, to see why you wrote it and what's the intention of it. 
that you would also help us to examine ourselves, that we can know that we can know you. We can know that we have fellowship with you. We can know that we can walk with you. And I'm asking that you would create a desire in every one of those that are yours to have a desire to walk in truth, to walk in fellowship with you. Even now, I'm asking that you would set aside any distraction that we may have, anything that, that's going on that's extra, that just for this time that you would set it aside and help us to be able to think and concentrate and meditate upon your word, upon this message, and that we could think upon you and the things of you. Even me, myself, I'm asking that you would fill me with your precious spirit, that I reckon myself dead and reckon myself in need of you. So the best I know how, I'm asking that you fill me with your precious spirit. Thank you for filling me. Thank you for your promises. Be with us as we preach your word and bless it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. <clears throat> Excuse me. In the book of 1 John, John is the apostle who was the beloved apostle. He, of course, had followed and walked with Jesus for three and a half years while he was on this earth. And the Bible it calls him the beloved apostle. He was part of Jesus' inner circle. Jesus had three men of the twelve that were specially close to him, Peter, James, and John. All the rest of the disciples, including the apostle Paul, have already been martyred or beheaded, killed in some fashion. Only John remains. And he remains as a witness to this new generation of people as it starts going to the next century. And he's trying to relate to him the things that are true. So he writes a small letter, only five chapters into it. But he writes it with intent and purpose. If you wouldn't mind, notice with me in 1 John chapter 1, turn with me, and I'd like to show you some of the purposes. Why did John write the book? That's a good question. Why did he, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, write this passage, write this book? Well, we can get some hints because he tells us. Notice if you wouldn't mind 1 John chapter 1 verse 4. Notice this if you, you won't mind. 1 John 1 4. Why did he write the book? 1 John 1 4. And these things write we unto you that your joy may be full. Now notice the phrase in verse 4. It says, these things write we unto you. Now that's pretty much in English saying, hey, this is the reason why I'm writing this to you. So whenever you see this phrase that these things write we unto you, you can see this is a purpose. This is one of the reasons why he wrote this. So the first reason, why did he write 1 John under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit? Verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 4. These things write we unto you that your joy may be full. The first thing he said, I want to promote joy. I want to promote joy. What a wonderful thing it is to know that Jesus is real. That Jesus is not a fairy tale. It's not an imaginary thing. It's not just a, a puff of imagination. It's not a hope. It's not a crutch. But Jesus was real. That Jesus is God. And that he did robe himself in flesh. That he did dwell among us. That he did die for our sins. You know, sometimes even us as Christians, we go to church and we sometimes get in a thing that we like, it's not that big of a deal. Sometimes we come to the place where we come to church and it's just, it's just out of habit. It's just 
sometimes we feel like it's a waste of time. But that's because at that moment, we're not realizing how real it is. Sometimes we almost feel, again, if we'd be honest with ourselves, sometimes I'm sure there's been a time in your life where you say, is this real? Well, the book of 1 John is written for the purpose that our joy may be full. Why? Because we know it's real. Jesus is God. This is not a waste of our time. We're not wasting our lives by coming to church. We're not wasting time by reading our Bible. We're not wasting time by praying. That this Christian life, it's real. And with that idea that it's real, we have joy. That Jesus is real. Heaven's a real place. I can have forgiveness of our sins. There's a peace and a joy that comes knowing that Jesus is real. Notice there's a second reason why the book of John was written under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. 1 John chapter number 2. 1 John chapter 2. Notice the key phrase once again. 1 John chapter 2 verse 1. My little children, these things write I unto you, that you sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Notice that key phrase, these things write I unto you. So John, why did you write the book of 1 John? He says, these things write I unto you, that you sin not. That you sin not. He says, the reason why I'm writing this book is to try to prevent sin. Not only to promote joy, but to prevent sin. I want to encourage you, he's writing, so that way you'd stop sinning. That you would choose not to sin. That you would keep away from sin. That you would make a choice not to sin. You know, there's many times in our lives, if we were honest, that we have to jump over hurdles that God placed in our path to get to sin. That God puts up obstacles, he puts up things, and we climb over the fence, we climb over the obstacle, we dig our own ditch, we make our own path to get to sin. But what John is writing here, these things write I unto you that you sin not. I'm trying to prevent sin. I'm trying to bring these things to your remembrance so you don't choose sin. So you sin less and less and less. He says, this is one of the reasons why I'm writing unto you. There's a third reason, according to the book of John, why he's writing this book. 1 John chapter 2, verse 26. 1 John 2, 26. He says, I'm writing to promote joy. I'm writing to prevent sin. Notice 1 John chapter 2, verse 26. He says, these things have I written unto you. So there's our phrase again. These things have I written unto you concerning them that seduce you. Concerning them that seduce you. He says, a third reason is to protect the saints. He says, first reason why I'm writing is to promote joy. The second one is to prevent sin. The third one is to protect the saints. He says, these things have I written unto you concerning them that seduce you. He says, in order to be a help to you, I got to warn you that there's people who are trying to deceive you. There are people that you cannot trust who say that they're Bible teachers, who say that they're preachers, who say that they're Christians. There are people that are trying to deceive and seduce you. I don't know if you realize that, but not everyone who calls themselves a Christian is a Christian. Not everyone who calls themselves a church is a church. Not everyone who says they have their best, your best interest in heart has your best interest in heart. I remember several years ago, I received in an envelope, a special envelope from a church that had a special prayer napkin or rug or something. 
And that if I would just take this prayer rug and go kneel on it somewhere and make my prayers be known, and then I take that prayer rug and put it in, that, in a special envelope and send them $100, my prayers will be answered. Do you know that there's some people who fall for that? There are some people who get the blessed hanky. They could order it off of a special show. And if you get this special prayer hanky, oh, let me tell you, you'll prosperity. You'll be prosperous. There are some people that you need to be warned about that are trying to seduce you. And so he says, these things are writing unto you concerning them that trying to seduce you, trying to seduce the saints. So the third reason why he's writing is he's trying to prove protect the saints he says i'm writing you to let you know that there's some people who are trying to deceive you but notice if you wouldn't mind the last reason why he wrote the book of first john the main purpose in first john chapter 5 first john chapter 5 and verse 13 where we had started at begin at the beginning this is the main theme of the book this is the main purpose of the book first john chapter 5 verse 13 remember our phrase we're looking for it says these things have i written unto you this is the phrase it says, verse 13, These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life, and that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. He says, the main reason why I'm writing unto you today is to provide assurance. To provide assurance. He says, I'm writing unto you to promote joy. I'm writing unto you to prevent sin. I'm writing unto you to protect the saints. I'm writing unto you to provide assurance. These things have I written unto you that you may know that you have eternal life. One of the things that God wants us to have is what we call assurance of salvation. What does that mean? God wants you to know that you know that you know that you know that your sins are forgiven and that you're going to heaven. Do you know that you cannot be useful in God's kingdom until you have your salvation nailed down. You say, what do you mean by that, preacher? What I mean by that is that if you don't know for sure that you're going to heaven, what you end up doing is you serve God in order to get something from Him. I don't serve God in order to get something from Him. I serve God because of what He's already done for me. You see, there's a difference in motive. I'm not trying to get anything from God. I'm trying to serve Him because of what He's done for me. He has done so much. And when you know that you know that you know that your sins are forgiven, you know that you know that you know that you're going to heaven, oh, there's a change in your life. There's something different in your motives and how you treat God. There's a difference in your love to God when you know for sure that your sins are forgiven the bible talks about in john chapter 3 and you don't have to turn there i'm just referencing it that jesus said verily verily i say unto you that ye must be born again you must be born again now that's a good statement have you ever been born again has there been a time in your life where you had a spiritual birth not just a physical birth everybody needs two birthdays happy birthday to you only two will not do. Born again means salvation. How many have you? Well, you need two birthdays. You need to know for sure that you are born again. Now, the first time you were born, there was an event. You probably got a certificate. You probably have it somewhere filed away, hopefully in a lockbox or somewhere where it's not going to get burned away, that says you 
were born, and it says who your mama was, it says who your daddy was, it says the hospital you were born at, the state you were born at, it has all that information. You know, when you were born the first time, there's evidence that you were born. Not only a piece of paper, but there's evidence that you're alive here. For example, if Mr. Stanley went up to his mama and said, Mom, was I born? First of all, she would laugh at him and say, of course you were. But he says, but mom, how do you know I was born? She goes, I was there. And she could give a time and a place. She could tell the details of everything that went on during that time. But not only that, there's evidence that Stanley, that you're alive right now. For example, mama could pinch you and you could feel it. And there's evidence that you're alive. There's evidence... You're breathing. There's things that show that you are alive. Well, the same thing's true about being born again. That when you're born again and born of the Spirit, there was a time and a place where you realized you were a sinner and because of your sin, you had offended a holy, righteous God and you deserved to go to an awful place called hell. But realizing that, you also was told or shown that God loved you so much that Jesus came and died for you. And there was a time in your life where you specifically and intentionally asked Jesus Christ to forgive you of your sins. When that occurs, the Bible says you are born again. Now, just like you were born once, to be born again doesn't happen time and time and time again. Where you say, well, I I pray every night. No, 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 no. When you're born again, it's a one-time event. And when you are born again, what happens is that the Holy Spirit, who is God, comes to move inside of your heart, and He changes you. You become a new creature. And there's something different about you. And there should be evidence. There should be proof that you are born again. And so with that in mind, I'd like to show you the birthmarks of the believer. That in the book of 1 John, it's written for the purpose that we should know that we have eternal life. And in this book, we also have evidences that we are born again. And so if you wouldn't mind, I'd like to show you the birthmarks of the believer. Turn with me back to 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2, and let me show you the first birthmark, the first evidence that a Christian is truly a Christian, truly born again. Now I understand that many other teachers and and, um, well-meaning people may put... um, may put different lists in. But we want to see what the Bible says. How do you know for sure that you, this is an internal matter, by the way, we can't necessarily be fruit inspectors, but this is something internally for each person to evaluate on their own. Are these evidences in your own lives? So as we go through here, what I want you to do is I want you to put on the little processor, your thinking cap, that little thing, and I want you to ask the questions for yourself Is this a birthmark in my life? Is this evidence in my life? Notice the first birthmark of a believer. 1 John chapter 2, notice with me starting in verse number 3. 1 John chapter 2 verse number 3. It says, and hereby we do know that we know him. Now let me pause here. When we were talking about the purposes of the book, we were looking for a phrase. And it says, these things have I written unto you. That's how we know that this is a purpose. Now we come to our second phrase. How do we know that we have a birthmark that we're talking about in evidence? When you see the phrase that hereby we do know that we know him. 
Now, I love that word know, K-N-O-W. It has the idea to know with a surety, to have knowledge of. As a scientist myself, I like knowing. I like things of knowledge. And hereby it says that you can know, you can have evidence, you can have proof of this thing is true. Hereby we do know that we know Him. How do you know that you know Jesus intimately? How do you know that you will know Him because He's a part of your life? How do you know that you know Him because He lives in Side of you, verse number three, hereby we do know that we know him. Why? If we keep his commandments. He that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whosoever keepeth his word, in him verily is the love of God perfected. Hereby know we that we are in him. And he that saith, <coughs> he that saith, he abideth. In him ought him ought himself also to walk even as he walked. Now notice this if you wouldn't mind. It says, hereby you know him if you keep his commandments. Now you say, uh-oh, does this mean that every time I don't keep his commandments that I'm not saved? Does that mean that I can be saved, not saved, saved, not saved? No, no, no. Notice if you wouldn't mind a special part of the English Bible that we have. Notice in verse number four, it says, and him that keepeth. Notice it has that prefix or suffix at the end, the E-T-H. Notice again in verse number five, it says, Who, but whosoever keepeth his word. Verse number six, he that abideth, the E-T-H. Now I know that some people like to imagine that people spoke in in the 1600s in England in Shakespearean language, and I doth say unto thee, but do you know that no one in ever English, from what I understand, has ever spoken that away? That is something used in literature to help kind of show a tense that we don't have in English. You remember your English tenses, right? We have past tense, we have present tense, and we have future tense, right? I used to do this. I am now doing this. I will do this. We have the three tenses, past, present, and future. But in the Greek language, you have more tenses than three. And so the, the type of tense that is being used here, when it says the ETH is called continual action. Continual action. So it's not something done one place in time, but it is something showing continual action. So notice this with the idea of continual action and verse number four. He that saith... So he that continues to say, I know him and keepeth. So this continual action is not in the habit of keeping his commandments is a liar and the truth is in, not in him. But whosoever keepeth or is in the habit continually keeping his word, but whosoever keepeth his word in him is the love of God perfected. Hereby know we that we are in him. And he that saith continually that he abideth continually in him ought himself to walk even as he walked. Now, this is one of the reasons why we believe not only in the preservation of Scripture, but also the superiority of the King James Bible is because it shows this continual action. See, whenever we sin, we don't lose our salvation, but it's carrying the idea that a brand new Christian or a, a true born-again Christian, someone who has this second birth, one of the qualities, one of the birthmarks that he has is the birthmark of obedience. The birthmark of obedience. What do I mean by this? That anyone who is truly a born-again Christian and has the Holy Spirit 
living inside of them that has been born again, that they have a natural desire to obey the Bible. That doesn't mean that they always obey, but they have something inside of them that wants to obey. You see, this is something that's in every single Christian. We understand there's some Christians who could be disobedient to God, but there's something inside of them that wants to be pleasing to God. If you don't mind, I have permission to do this. I'm going to use the illustration of my brother. My brother and I grew up in not a, <laughs> a nice home, sort of say. The parents did the best they can, but we grew up in a little bit rough situation. And when I joined the military, I left Dodge. My brother was left all by himself. And he had bitterness and rebellion, and those two things kind of just mixed together. Now, my brother had made a profession of faith when he was 14 years old. He truly got saved. But because of bitterness and because of rebellion, he continually was disobedient to the Word of God. But one of the wonderful things was, was whenever I got off of leave and I would show him from the Bible, this is what the Bible says, there was something inside of him that says, I want to obey. I want to do what's right. You know, I should do that. The problem that he had is as soon as I left, his friends came and they made the decision for him and he continued to go to a wrong path. But there was something inside of him. It may not have been shown by his actions by actually obeying, but there was something inside of him that wanted to obey. That is an evidence that he was saved. Now, we want to work on the obedience where we're obeying, but there's something inside of every Christian that naturally wants to obey the Word of God. And that's one of the birthmarks that we have, the birthmark of obedience, that every born-again Christian has a natural desire to be pleasing to God, has a natural desire to be obedient to His Word. doesn't mean that we're always obedient, but there's a desire, something inside of a Christian to be obedient. Notice, if you wouldn't mind, there's a second birthmark of the believer. Notice with me 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3, now again, we'll hit this more in detail through the series, but I'm giving an overview. 1 John chapter 3 in verse number 14, we have another birthmark listed. 1 John chapter 3 verse 14, the Word of God says this, We know that we have passed from death into life. Here's that phrase that we know. How do you know that you passed from death to life? How do you know that you went from unsaved to saved? How do you know you went from darkness to the light? We know that we have passed from death into life because we love the brethren. He that loveth, there's that E-T-H again, here's that continual action. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. Whosoever hateth, here's that E-T-H, that continual action. Whosoever hateth his brother is a murderer. And ye know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. Hereby perceive we the love of God because he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoso hath, that's that continual action of has, but whosoever hath this world's good and seeth his brother hath need and shutteth continually up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. Hereby we know that we are of the truth 
and shall assure our hearts before him. So the second birthmark that we have is the birthmark of love. The birthmark of love. Every Christian, every truly born-again Christian has a natural love for other Christians. That's a birthmark that you have. Now we understand that there'd be times that we could get in the flesh and times that someone aggravated us or maybe some bitterness have come in that we currently are not in good standing. You know, have you ever had a sibling? Maybe you were a sibling and you said, I hate you. And, but there's not a continual action there. There may be a point in time where you're not right with God and not right with someone else. But there should be a... If there's someone who says, yeah, I'm a Christian, but I hate all other Christians, there's a problem there. Every Christian has a natural love and desire for other Christians. That is a birthmark that every Christian has. By the way, that also means a desire to assemble with God's people. That if you're truly born again, there should be something in you that wants to be with other Christians and be with and listen to them and support them. Now this goes along with the same ideas. Notice if you wouldn't mind. And verse uh, here's the practicality. And verse number 17. But whosoever has this world's goods and seeth his brother hath need and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? So here's the qualifier. Let's say that you actually have a little bit extra money. All right? Or you have something that could supply someone else. Let's say that you have an extra bed out in the garage. All right? And you have another Christian who hard times came and he doesn't have a bed to sleep on. And you say, you know what? I know I have an extra bed, but I don't care if he has need or whatever. It's mine. It's mine. He can't have it. The Bible says there's something wrong there. That an, a Christian will have a natural desire to help out another Christian. Hey, I have some way to meet your need and you have a legitimate need. Let me help you here. Let me take care of that. And so other Christians have a natural desire to help them out. By the way, that's why offerings work in a church. That You know, missionaries come and we say, you know what? I have a desire to see this missionary be helped out. Let's give a love offering. You know, let's say that someone had a fire at their house or something tragic happened. You know what Christians will do? They'll give and they'll supply. Why? Because there's a natural love and desire for other Christians inside of their heart. Now, if you're Scrooge McDuck and you have all this stuff and you say, well, I'm not going to help out, I don't care, there's something wrong. There's not that evidence there. A true Christian has a natural desire, a natural love for other Christians. So we first of all have the birthmark of obedience, that every Christian, everyone that's truly born again has a desire to be obedient to God's word. The second birthmark is a birthmark of love that every true born-again Christian has a desire to love other Christians. Notice, if you wouldn't mind, a third birthmark of the believers. <clears throat> 1 John chapter number 4. 1 John chapter 4. Notice with me, if you wouldn't mind, <clears throat> in verse number 1. 1 John chapter 4. In verse number 1, the Word of God says this. Beloved... Believe not every spirit, but try the spirits whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. Hereby know ye the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesseth, notice this, that ETH, that Jesus Christ is come into the flesh is of God. 
And every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ is come of the flesh is not of God. And that, it, that the spirit of Antichrist, whereby ye have heard that it should come, and even now already is it in the world. Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And they are of the world, therefore they speak of the world, and the world heareth them. We are of God, and he knoweth God heareth us. And he that is not of God heareth not us. Hereby know we, there's that phrase, hereby know we the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Here this birthmark is the birthmark of truth. The birthmark of truth. Now in this passage here, it's talking about that there are people, there's different spirits. We live in a spiritual world. And there are different spirits that are trying to deceive people about who Jesus is. If you're, not in the ha- uh, if you're in the habit of writing down notes, maybe write a side phrase. Every religion has to answer the question, what to do about Jesus? Every religion has to do the idea what to do with Jesus. This even deals with the idea of the Christ- quote-unquote Christian religions. All right? So how do they deal with Jesus? You take the Mormons. How do they deal with Jesus? They believe that Jesus is the brother of Lucifer. That's a problem. What about, what about um, some of the others? There's others that believe that Jesus Christ is not God. That's a problem. There are some people that believe that Jesus is God, but he did not come in the flesh. That's a problem. There are some people that believe that even though Jesus died on the cross, his blood was not enough to pay for all of our sins. That's a problem. You see, they all have to deal with the question, who is Jesus? You know what the Holy Spirit will do? He will always tell us the truth about Jesus. And that's what Satan wants to do is he wants to deceive people and they may have a Jesus in their song, a Jesus in their message, but it's not the Jesus of the Bible. Now, one of the good things that we have is that we have the birthmark of truth. We have a truth detector inside of us called the Holy Spirit. And what the Holy Spirit can do is that when I preach and I preach from the Bible, the Holy Spirit inside of you, if you're born again, does something inside of you that says, that's true, that's true. You see, he backs up the message that I preach. There's something inside of you that when I preach from the Bible and the Bible is truth and I'm preaching exactly what it says, the Holy Spirit says, that's right, that's right, that's right. Now, it may not say it in an audible voice, but there's something in there that just backs it up and says, that's right. The same thing's true that if you hear a false preacher or someone that's not preaching truly what the Bible says, that you may not be able to put your finger on it, you may not be able to put a chapter and verse on it, but there's something about it that you go, there's just something not quite right about that. That's the Holy Spirit. It can guide us into truth. If we allow Him to speak to us and we, we listen to it, He can guide us into all truth and say, you know what, that's not right, stay away from that. You know, I don't think that's quite right. You know, I, I remember listening to a preacher once. I was working at a retirement home and she was watching the religious channel and I heard a famous well-known preacher said, you know, Adam and Eve weren't the first man and woman. There was actually many other humanistic races all over. God just chose Adam and Eve out of all the people to make his lineage. And there was something inside of me that said, you know, there's just something not quite right about that statement. 
You know, now, of course, I could take the Bible and show you, but you know, there should be something when someone says something off, there's something inside of us that says, you know, there's just something off about that. That's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit can guide us into truth. And by the way, when I preach truth, that a true born-again Christian who's right with God is going to have to agree, that's true, that's true, that's true. That's why some people who come up and said, oh man, that Bible message, there was nothing truth to that. There's something wrong. You understand that? <laughs> you know? Because the Holy Spirit is going to back up and endorse truth. Now, if I say something wrong, then the Holy Spirit's going to deal with that too. But if I'm preaching truth, the Holy Spirit backs it up. And every one of us have a truth detector who have accepted Jesus Christ as our personal Savior. So we have the birthmark of obedience. We have the birthmark of love. We have the birthmark of truth. Notice there's another birthmark here, the birthmark found in 1 John chapter 4, verse 13. 1 John chapter 4, verse 13, the Bible says, Hereby know we, so here's that phrase, we can know, hereby know we that we dwell in Him. How do you know that you dwell in Christ? How do you know that you dwell with God? Hereby we know that we dwell in Him, and He in us, why? because he hath given us of his spirit. The Holy Spirit lives with inside of us. We know according to 1 John chapter 14 that the first job of the Holy Spirit is to convict man. So here's the birthmark, the birthmark of the Holy Spirit. Have you ever done something that was wrong, sin or something, and God inside of you said, you messed up, you shouldn't have done that? That is one of the best evidences that you're saved is conviction. That's a proof that you are one of His. Now, it's not fun to be convicted, but when you are convicted, that's a great assurance. I am one of His. How do I know I'm one of His? Because He takes me outside of the woodshed and said, you messed up, boy. That's one of the blessings that we have. That's a proof that God loves us. It's a proof that we're one of His. Hey, you as a parent may discipline your child, but you're not going to spank the neighbor's kid. God will convict us because we're one of His. That's one of the proofs that we have. And we're thankful for it. The birthmark of the Holy Spirit. Then notice this. There's one last birthmark that's mentioned in the book of 1 John. One of the evidences that we're truly one of His. Birthmark uh, found in 1 John chapter 5 and verse number 9. 1 John chapter 5 verse 9. The Bible says this. If we receive the witness of man, the witness of God is greater. For this is the witness of God, which he hath testified of his Son. He that believeth on the Son of God hath the witness of himself. He that believeth not God hath made him a liar, because he believeth not the record that God gave of his Son. And this is the record that God hath given unto us eternal life. And this life is in His Son. He that hath the Son hath life. And he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that you have eternal life, and that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. The final birthmark is the birthmark of the witness within. You see, the Holy Spirit is of God, and God testifies that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and that Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world. He is this forgiver of sins. He is the record that Jesus, in Jesus Christ, is eternal life. You know how you can know for sure that you have eternal life? 
is if you have the Son. 1 John chapter 5, verse 12 that says, He that hath the Son hath life. And he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. Do you know that if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you have eternal life. And if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you don't, know have, you don't have eternal life. You see, it all centers on what do you do with Jesus? What do you do with Jesus? If you know for sure that Jesus Christ died for your sins and you personally accepted Him as your, as your Savior, you have eternal life. And there's something inside of you that gives a witness, a testimony, that God says you're one of His. You're one of His. You see, I give several different reasons here, but there may be some sweet old grandmother who's out on her porch and her, on her swing and she goes, I don't know about all of that. But the one thing that I know is I know Jesus. And because she knows Jesus, she also knows she has eternal life. Do you know for sure that you have Jesus as your personal Savior? You see, God does not want us to hope or guess or think that we have eternal life. He wants us to be 100% sure that we're going to heaven. And how can we know for sure that we're going to heaven? Because of the evidences of the birthmarks that we have. Let me go over them once again. And I want you to internally ask yourself, do I have this birthmark? If you have come to the place where you ask Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, do you have the birthmark of obedience? Meaning, do you have a desire to obey the Bible? It doesn't mean that you always obey the Bible, but you have a desire to obey the Bible. You have a desire to do what's right. Do you have that birthmark? The second birthmark, do you have the birthmark of love? Do you naturally love other Christians? Do you naturally want to help other Christians when they're, in, they're having trouble, even if it costs you something? If you're able to do it, oh, aren't you glad to try to help them out if you can? If they have a legitimate need and you have the availability, there should be a birthmark that we have, the birthmark of love that we want other Christians, that we want to help other Christians if they have a need. We have a love for them. And remember that love is just not in word and deed. Every, anyone can say, I love you. It's always proven by action. So our actions will prove whether we love Christians or not. The third birthmark is the birthmark of truth. Let me give you this evidence. You, most of you have heard me preach before. And when I preach the Bible, is there something inside of you that says, that's true, that's true, that's right, that's right. Then if that's true, if that's happened to you, then you have an evidence of the Holy Spirit living inside of you. The fourth birthmark is the birthmark of the Holy Spirit. This is, again, to me, the best evidence that you're saved. Are you convicted of sins? If you purposely tell a lie, does God say, you know what, you should have done that? If you do something that you're not supposed to, does God say, you know, you messed up and you know that? Does he take you outside of the woodshed? Does he, does he take care of it and says, don't do that again? Does he correct your behavior? Any person who says they're a Christian and God does not correct their behavior is not one of their, or not one of his. And then we have the birthmark of the witness within that if the Holy Spirit lives with inside of you, he's the one that says, Jesus is truth. Jesus is truth. Do you know for sure that you have Jesus? Is there something inside of you that you know that you have Jesus? And because you have Jesus, you also have eternal life. Once again, I said at the beginning that no Christian can ever truly, truly be effective for the Lord until he's got the matter of his eternal salvation taken care of. 
Until that you know that you know that you know that you're going to heaven, you're not going to be effective for him because you'll try to serve God in order to get something from him. Oh God, I want to make sure that I have this salvation. I'm going to do this for you. I'm going to do this for you. God doesn't want us to serve him that way. He wants us to serve him because of what he's already done for us. See, there's a different motive. But the main question I want to ask you, do you know that you know that you know that you have eternal life? Are these birthmarks, are these evidences true in your life? If they are not, don't be ashamed, don't, don't try to hide. I'm trying to shake you of your salvation. Not trying to make you doubt your salvation. I'm trying to shake you of your salvation. Because if salvation is true, you're not going to be shaken out of it. But if you've been just saying some words, if you're just saying, well, I'm a Christian because of this and because of that, then I want to shake that out of you so that way for the purpose that we can show you from the Bible how that you can know that you know that you know. How do you know for sure that you're going to heaven? Not only because I asked Jesus to be my Savior, but because I have birthmarks, I have evidences that Jesus lives in me. Are those birthmarks true in your own life? Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 530-6308. Once again, that number is 920-530-6308. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you. Thank you.